And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Welcome to the show, of course. It's the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. Get by our website today, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, Michael Leibowitz's new article out on Janet Yellen and the measure of hope, right? There's, uh, you know, lots of discussion lately by her in particular, like no recession in sight. Uh, so he does some good analysis about hope as a precursor for monetary policy. And then it's kind of an interesting piece. So anyway, that's on our website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, make sure and subscribe to our weekly newsletter and to our new Before the Bell channel. Um, that's our new YouTube channel where we do our three minutes on markets and money uh, every morning. So make sure you're subscribed over there. Uh, we've now got this channel. Make sure and subscribe here as well. So if you're watching the show, click that little bell icon. We'd appreciate it, but also subscribe to our uh, Before the Bell channel uh, so you get all of our videos that we put out every day uh, pre-market. So that'll help you manage your money better. Okay, so a couple things. Big news yesterday, of course, inflation data. Um, coming in a bit hotter than expected, shelter inflation, 8% year-over-year increase. And again, that's the highest level since, the, since pfft, like the 70s that we've seen for shelter inflation going up that much. But, you know, that's continuing to weigh on the, the, the inflation data itself. Inflation data coming in about half a percent yesterday, 0.5% yesterday on the increase. Year-over-year, year, still fairly elevated, well above 6% at this point. So, you know, this is going to keep the Fed, and this, you know, the market kind of shrugged this off initially yesterday morning, came in line with estimates, markets kind of rallied for a moment uh, pre-market, and then, then kind of sold off, but then rallied back, um, you know, intraday. And, and again, we just kind of remain above this 20-day moving average, kind of keep coming down and, and testing it. But markets kind of shrugging off yesterday, uh, this hotter inflation print, not sure why, because when you take that inflation print yesterday combined with those employment reports for January, there is no signal here that the Federal Reserve is going to stop hiking rates anytime soon. And this is going to continue to tighten monetary policy. And, and the big concern, of course, is that the Fed hikes rates too much and they break something. And, and this is going to be the, 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 the real issue for markets at some point later in the year. Because again, when we start talking about this, the, the market itself, right? What do we invest in the markets for? So when we invest in the stock market, yes, I know everybody wants to get wealthy. That's not my point. We invest in the stock market because we're making a assessment on future earnings of companies, right? So if I buy Apple stock today, what I'm really kind of betting on is that the price that I pay for the company today will be worth more tomorrow because of improved earnings, right? They're growing their business, they're successful, whatever it is. Um, we're always betting on an optimistic outlook for that business. That's not, and that's why we make these investments in the markets. And yes, and then ultimately that leads to more wealth. That's, that's the point, right? Um, but the problem is, is that higher interest rates, this is, and this is the disconnect between what's going on right now, higher interest rates impact corporations on a variety of different measures. So first of all, higher borrowing costs, right? That eats into my profit margins. So when I report earnings, you know, I have less money because I've been spending more on funding debt. So if I've got to refinance debt at higher rates, that's going to eat into my earnings flow, right? 
Um, the other side of this is higher interest rates detract more capital. And again, when the Fed hikes rates, it doesn't really affect the long end of the curve, right? So when you start talking about 10-year treasuries or longer dated corporate bonds, the Fed funds rate change doesn't really impact that much. What the Fed funds rate does is impacts the very short end of the curve between zero and two years. Very high correlation between interest rate movements between zero and two years and what the Federal Reserve is doing. But that feeds into the economy in a couple of different ways. One, it changes the prime rate. The Federal Reserve has a very sharp impact on the prime rate, which affects things like credit cards. So now with consumers, which is 70% of the economy, by the way, they're never got higher payments, monthly payments on their credit cards because their interest rates go up. Well, that, that takes more of disposable income away to service debt versus what I can go buy stuff in the economy for, which ultimately comes back and impacts earnings. So the point of higher rates and tighter monetary policy, if we, as we've explained before, is to reduce consumption, which thereby reduces earnings for corporations. Yet what investors are betting on right now is better earnings later this year. Right. So the the expectations are is that this is the worst right now. We are at the worst of the earnings decline, but yet the Fed is still hiking rates. So how so here's the logical question. How can you be at the worst of the earnings decline if the Fed is still hiking policy? Right. That's the that's the disconnect that's going on between the markets right now. Again, you know, we talked about yesterday that the markets are hoping that the, the Fed's going to be cutting rates by June or July. But again, there's another disconnect because if the Fed's going to be cutting rates by June or July, that suggests that the economy and the markets are going to be in a bit more trouble. So why are we running prices up in anticipation of a pivot in Fed prices? Because the only reason the Fed would start to cut rates, the Fed's just not going to cut rates because, right? The Fed's going to cut rates in order to offset a recession or to, to offset a financial crisis or whatever it is. But there's going to be a problem, and this is why the Fed will be cutting rates, then trying to get consumers back into the economy, right? They, they need to offset a recession, so I need to cut rates to give consumers more money to spend so they'll get back out into the economy and start creating some economic, uh, economic activity. If everything is fine, if you have a soft landing in, this, in the markets, if markets are going up, if the economy is doing okay, why would I cut rates? There's no reason to, right? So this is the disconnect that keeps going on between the markets. And again, doesn't mean you know, that the markets are entirely wrong. Maybe the markets are sensing something and picking up on something that, that logic is missing. But just from the standpoint of a logical assessment, of what these Fed rate hikes are going to do and what inflation is going to do for the economy over the course of the next several months, um, it's hard to suggest that you know the markets have this right right now. But again, we have to we have to give the market room to tell us what it wants to do. This is and this this is the conundrum. We spoke a little bit about this yesterday on the show paying attention to what markets are doing. Right now, the, the market trend is positive. The 20-day moving average has been holding good support here. It's been a good marker of this rally ever since December. Uh, lots of support, as we've talked about over the last few days, right there at the 50 and 200-day moving average. So again, markets going to be opening down a little bit this morning. We're going to come down and retest this 20-day moving average again this morning. We'll see if it can hold or not. But as we discussed yesterday, um, we, we do have a sell signal now on a couple of different levels. So it's very likely this correction or consolidation process has started. And the one risk to be paying attention to is 
If we go back and look at previous peaks where markets were consolidating like they are now, um, we saw the same type of kind of volatile action as we were getting that initial sell signal and then eventually the markets kind of gave up the ghost. Um, we saw this previously uh, back over here in August as well. Markets kind of consolidated, rallied a bit as you were getting that sell signal and then finally gave up the ghost on that as well. So again, be a little cautious here. We've got the same type of consolidation process going on as we're getting ready to trigger that sell signal from a decently high level. So again, a bit more of a correction is likely over the next month or two um, as we kind of go through this, particularly as we get into March and, and the weaker part of February, which is the last half. So again, a couple of things to talk about. Now, this morning, Danny Ratliff joining me. We're gonna be talking a little bit about, you know, you spend all your years accumulating savings. Right? You, you work hard, you save, you invest, you grow your nest egg. When it comes time to spend it, you don't want to <laughs> because you're so worried about everything else that's gonna happen. So we're gonna talk today about how and when to spend your nest egg. Talk about that with Danny Ratliff coming up right after the break. Real Investment Advice is the website. Get by there, get our latest blog posts, newsletters, more. It's all there for you to help you manage your money better. Realinvestmentadvice.com, be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors, too. But raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you. Our next RIA Lunch and Learn will dwell upon this topic because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets. Join Ratliff and Rosso, February 23rd, for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Just want to warn you, Brent, I have a rant this morning. So just, oh, we're going to get there. But before we get to the rant, we'll start out with uh, Danny Ratliff this morning. Good morning, Danny. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm going to hear this rant. <laughs> but we'll save it, right? We'll, 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 we'll get to the rant I don't know. Here. I feel like we need to give you a little time to really no, no, air no, this no, all no. out. I just, I just read an article, so I'm, I'm getting all fired up right now. I'm processing at the moment. <laughs> Stupidity reigns in the, in the financial marketplace. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll get there in a minute. So... Um, you spend all your life, right? Uh, you know, we, we talk about this a good bit on the show, right? How to invest, how to make money, how to save for retirement, all these type of things. I had a good email the other day from a listener. Appreciate the, the emails, as always. If you want to send us an email, we're always happy to have them. Go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. There's a little box right at the top that says ask a question. So feel free. Send your questions, comments. Um, never know. We might answer you. <laughs> no, it's <answer> all of them. <laughs> but, you know, the issue is... Um, he makes a good point. He's like, look, you know, we've been saving money and, and, you know, doing everything right and, you know, paying off our debts and all this, getting ready for retirement, you know, and now we're getting to the part to where we're supposed to be sending the money, uh, you know, spending the money, but it's hard to do it, right? It's, it's, it's hard to dip into that nest egg for retirement. And, and it's, it's an interesting psychological problem 
that people run into is you spend all this time and effort and years, you know, accumulating this this nest egg, and then you start worrying about, well, what if I spend too much, or you know, what if this happens and you know I lose a bunch of money, then I won't have it to spend, and so you kind of become this hoarder <laughs> of your retirement accounts, and it becomes a bit of a challenge, right, to to actually spend those savings. And and Danny, I think you run into this probably more often than about anybody with clients that uh, you work with. We do. And, and you know, the financial industry does an extremely poor job of talking about distribution mode. Like, what does that mean? How do you get there? You know, most financial articles or any information that you find is really talking about how do you accumulate? And and we probably don't do as good of a job at that as, as we should as an industry as a whole, which is why we talk like Richard and I on our Financial Fitness Friday shows right here. We talk about this frequently in a lot of our workshops. How do you distribute? How do you get there? And what should you be thinking about prior to going into retirement? Because many times, and here's the problem, Lance, we, we get, we're saving funds, and all of a sudden we're supposed to just flip a switch and boom, you're now went from an accumulator to a distributor. And this is so tough because you've spent all of your life doing one thing and then you're just expected to make this change and not be a problem. And we, we call it the, the black hole, that first right. year or two. And a lot of men really struggle with this is one, I mean, there, there's a number of things that go go into this and probably need more of a degree in psychology than finance to really ad appropriately address this. However, you know, we, we lose our sense of purpose. This is anybody when you quit working. Um, you have to have kind of a game plan set up. And a good planner will help you discuss these, these issues prior to going into, you know, that retirement mode where you begin to think about this. How do you distribute funds? And hopefully you've been working with somebody long enough that they can actually give you an idea where you should be putting those funds to give you more flexibility in retirement. And so we encourage a handful of things. One, you need to really sit down and dive into the qualitative issues because what happens, I think, Lance, is that, you know, the root cause of this problem is not just, you know, saying, okay, flip the switch, let's start distributing assets, but it's the failure to actually probably prepare mm -hmm. in many ways, right? Everybody knows their numbers. Everybody knows the financial numbers, but what they don't think about is how, they, how they're going to use it further down the line and where do those funds go? So, you know, we, we talk about things and people are like, well, what, why do we need to talk about what are my hobbies going to be? What are we looking to do in retirement? Because, well, that's where your money's going to go. All these goals, objectives, you know, everybody wants this magic number, but the magic number is tied to all those magical things you want to do <laughs> once you get to retirement. And so... By getting a really good understanding, starting to prepare for it, I think it, it really helps a lot of people. And we do have some clients that do a, a trial run. It's not for everybody. And, and this is one thing that I think that the more people that do this, you'll, you'll actually end up being a little bit better off because you have an understanding. You actually start to see funds come out. But what we'll do in these instances is as you're still working, you're winding things down, you start putting funds into a separate account. But then we begin to draw down on one of the investment accounts that you're using, if you have the flexibility to do so, right? Some people, Lance, they just have everything inside the 401k. Yep. There may not be a ton of additional savings or, or other avenues to distribute. And look, that's okay. That's why I say it's not for everybody. But if you do have the luxury of doing something like this, this can help kind of set your mindset, get that right, and, and start to see how this actually works. Now, there are times, because we do a lot of distribution planning, a lot of different strategies surrounding this, that we may say, hey, you have all these additional funds that are after tax. 
you have potential bonuses coming in, you're still working for part of the year, where we may encourage you to wind down after-tax funds first, meaning like, you know, savings accounts, um, after-tax brokerage accounts, taxable accounts, right? Um, and then towards the end of the year, once we have a really good understanding as far as what income is, to make a larger distribution either via Roth conversion or just a regular distribution. But we, we fail to prepare on this in so many levels, Lance, and this is this is a big issue. Well, I'm glad somebody brought this up. Well, I think it's, you know, there's, you know, there's some other, you know, psychological, and again, it's all psychological, right? I oh, mean, so much so. The, the, the math is pretty easy. If you have X and you take out this much a year, it's going to last you this many years and you should be dead by that point. So that, that's pretty easy math. You know, I think the problem that we get ourselves into is that we start overthinking things, right? It's like, well, if I take this money out now, what if I have a medical issue coming down the road that I didn't count on? And what if I have, you know, you know, some other type of issue? Or what if my, you know, if I have a family member that passes away, you know, whatever, there's all these other things that can and occur. And I've seen every one of those things happen. Right, right. And and so how do you plan for the, the unexpected so that I can sit there and kind of comfortably say, okay, I'm going to take out X a year, but then still have this emergency pot over here just in case something goes wrong. Well, I think you always have a buffer. You you have some type of buffer within the plan to say, okay, what what are the miscellaneous expenses that can come up? And this is why we always encourage, you know, the hierarchy of savings. You know, one, we want to make sure you have you have cash on the sideline. You have your emergency fund. Everybody talks about that. But then, I mean, we can go a step further and say, well, you know, rules of thumb, which are good and bad. But, you know, some may say you need six months. Some will say you need three. Some may say you need 12. Well, it's going to vary if you're in a, a position where you're commission-based and income is very volatile or even your industry. Well, then maybe we want to have you put a little bit more aside versus if you're a tenured professor and you can do no wrong, you're going to have that paycheck coming in. Right. Well, then maybe you don't need as much. But we've been encouraging for the last several years, Stephen, to accelerate that and have what we were calling a financial vulnerability cushion, meaning that we want our emergency funds. And those emergency funds are ideally, you know, they're typically there if you, your car breaks down, the AC goes out, um, you lose your job, give you enough time to go and, and, and find another job. But what if we went above that and put additional funds aside so if all those things that happen at once, it gives you a little bit more bandwidth to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that, you know, having that hierarchy of knowing where to go and maybe adding an additional expense within your financial plan, because we're going to get we're going to get sideswiped by stuff. Life's going to throw us curveballs. Now, if it's a huge deal, we want to we want to do a side by side comparison within the plan. Hey, here's some routes that you can go. Here's some other avenues that maybe or resources you could tap to meet these these short term needs. But that's a tough part, because how do you plan for the things that may or may not happen. And that's where I think you put a little bit of an extra buffer within that plan. Yeah. Well, and this is also where, you know, you can also mitigate some of those risks with some good insurance planning, right? Correct. Long-term care, disability insurance, things that, you know, none of us want to talk about because it's, yeah. you know, it's mortality. Uh, it's also where an annuity, um, and now with interest rates up, you know, the, the, the payout on annuities is some of the highest levels we've seen in the last, you know, probably 10, 15 years. Oh, easy. And but those are that's a guaranteed income check at retirement. So forever. I mean, until you pass away. So, you know, that's going to you know, you can you can fund you if you say, look, I need between Social Security and what I might get on my pension or if you have one or any other type of payout structure you're getting from another source. 
between that income and my daily living needs, I need an extra $2,000 a month. You can buy an annuity. They'll guarantee you a check of $2,000 a month for the rest of your life. So you can have that. It's what, kind of what I call an Alpo diet. It covers everything except food, right? You're just eating Alpo at that point, but everything else is paid for. House is paid for, you know, cars paid for. I like for. it to cover food. <laughs> Daniel, we don't want you eating, eating ramen noodles or dog food, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. It covers, but the point is to cover all the basic necessities, and then all you have to worry about is just the minor stuff, right? Food, Correct. entertainment, that type of stuff, you know, after, after that. But so there's a lot of ways to mitigate some of that risk, but it's just part of the planning process, right? Yeah, and I think you have to be cautious with that, right? We hear good and bad about all these different oh, yeah, types yeah. of products, but it, it needs to be, you need to have a, an extensive toolbox that you can go to and then you can utilize at different times and, and what may be good for your neighbor may not be good for you. Um, and, and everybody's situation is a little bit different, but I think getting back to the, the issue here is, you know, it's like, you know, we do these workshops, Lance, I tell people, look, my, my kids, they practice everything, piano before piano recital, t-ball or baseball before big games. But yet we don't get that practice or trial run in, in retirement, really. And, and now there are people that, you know, you could say are blessed that they have the ability to do so. But that's just often not the case. I mean, sometimes, you know, we saw during the pandemic, we had a lot of clients who were, were let go of work. Said, look, we always fall back on our feet. We'll be fine. And it just wasn't the case. They're out of the workforce now. But they had to change lifestyle they changed you know housing expenses they got a taste of it. and some of them now have gone back to work they're able to find work again um but some didn't and yeah. so you get this trial run sometimes where you, you get to good understanding in fact i have a client who um she retired and kind of didn't have to or, or really didn't have to but really wanted to then determined you know what i want to do something i shouldn't want to do that and has done all kinds of kind of odd jobs over the last two years and finally found something she really likes. And so it's kind of a neat phase in life where you can actually kind of step into something because you want to do it, not because you have to. There you go. All right. Come back from the break. Um, pick up on our morning's rant. We'll talk about that. Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. We teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors, too. But raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you. Our next RIA Lunch and Learn will dwell upon this topic, because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets. Join Ratliff and Rosso, February 23rd, for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. So actually, this morning, I have two rants. We're going to, well, we'll get to both of them uh, this morning. Um, you know, when the markets are going up, we saw this in 2020, 2021. Um, we're actually seeing it again today, right? Uh, there's, you know, a lot of stocks that are up 100% from their lows uh, back in October. 
Now, that's not saying a whole lot, but, you know, there's a lot of stocks that are, you know, have, have risen sharply um, because speculation is coming back into the markets in a variety of, of different manners. And, you know, one of the, the issues, though, and again, there's, there's all these stories. We've told stories before, like in 1999, uh, Dallas, uh, the Dallas Morning Newspaper, they would get a longhorn steer out and they taped this grid off on the ground. And they'd put stock symbols in the grid, and wherever the, the, the cow pooped, that was the stock pick, and the, the longhorn steer outpicked the pros <laughs> because that's the market we were in. Um, there's another story about a blindfolded monkey that, that was a better stock picker in 2001 than, than the pros. And that's what happens, though, when you get into these kind of speculative environments and where things are just kind of going up and money's just chasing things at, at willy-nilly. But, you know, the other problem that comes in from the markets is that in order to sell product, right, um, advisors and Wall Street in general, they make things overly complicated because the, the whole goal is, is you're too stupid to manage your own money. You've got to you have to use these really sophisticated, complex models of all these different funds and you have to have this type of allocation structure, et cetera. And that's not really necessarily true. I'm actually writing an article I told you yesterday on, on conviction and how conviction to an idea like the world's going to end or the dollar's going to go to zero, whatever it is, can really put you on the wrong side of the trade. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing that was used for a long time in the markets as well. You have to own a little of everything. You need diversification, Right. You need to have all these different assets to make sure you're diversified, because that way, if the market goes up or down, you know, you kind of participate, but you don't get hurt. And that sounds great in theory until the turn of the century when we had blindfolded monkeys and longhorn steers picking stocks and correlations pretty much went to one. It didn't really matter what you owned. Everything went up together. Everything went down together since 2009. Being diversified in anything other than the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ has cost you money. If you've had emerging markets or international or gold or anything else, you've deteriorated your returns over time because all the money flows were going into the United States. So, you know, the, the point is, is that investing doesn't have to be complicated. But in order to sell you stuff, and I hear these advertisements on radio and TV all the time, it's like, you need to have this structure and that structure and, and, you know, the world's too complicated and you're not smart enough to manage your own money. Um, and that's why you have to have us, right? That's why you have to have us manage your money. And, and, and the reality is, is that managing money in, in a portfolio is not difficult. and It's really not complicated. You have to pay attention to what's going on. And that's why we talk about technicals and those type of things. It's, these aren't complicated issues. It's just things that you have to pay attention to. And then overlay that with a really strong financial plan. So you have a goal of where you're actually trying to get to. You know, the reason that people take on a lot too much investment risk over time is because they don't really have an end goal. They're just like, I know I need a bunch of money to retire. So I'm going to take on all this risk right now so I can have all this money to retire. But they really have no idea if it's a million or two million or 10 million. And, and Danny will tell you, and he will tell you here in a second. We have people that retire on 500,000 a year or $500,000 in assets, and they retire just fine. And then there's people with 10 million assets that can't retire. Right? So it is, it is a function of your underlying lifestyle. But not having that goal of where I need to get to pushes us to take on 
too much risk. And risk is a function of how much money you lose when you're wrong, not how much money you make, right? And so investing isn't complicated. And, you know, we look at a lot of portfolios that come in from other places all the time. And it's like, what do you got going on? I mean, you know, another big mistake that, and I'll turn it over to Danny here, but another big mistake on diversification is I'm going to have 10 different people manage my money. I want, you know, I need to diversify. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> and the reason is, is that you don't have any correlation between what all these different advisors or managers are doing for you. And you create a bunch of overlap risk because they pretty much all wind up owning the same thing. So there's just a, a variety of issues that you really need to pay attention to. Simple is often better, Danny. Well, I, I agree. And I think I've seen some that are, that are give you the illusion of being simple because maybe there's not a ton of positions. And ideally, we don't want a portfolio with several hundred positions, which I do see. Um, you know, we see this. There's a, a handful of really big firms that will buy um, all of these positions. And at some point, you're just tracking the market. And then the fees add up because typically they're hiring. You're, they're charging you a fee. Then they're hiring an outside money manager that charges you another fee. We see that a lot too, yeah. right? So you see a lot of overlap. Um, that can be an issue because why not just go buy SPY or go buy, right. you know, which is something we've owned in the past, just an S&P 500 ETF. I mean, there's a lot of ways to play that game. Um, now, you want to be cautious because I do see this with a lot of mutual funds as well. And we lose a lot of tax efficiency with mutual funds and some control. But, you know, I visited with somebody yesterday and they had a portfolio, which ideally wasn't, didn't look overly crowded, meaning that there wasn't a hundred positions or several hundred or even, you know, 50 or 60. But what, what it was is a lot of, a lot of mutual funds that were very similar. And this was a wrap account, but some had a shares, So transactional shares, right? You're paying an upfront fee. Um, some had C shares which are really expensive, right? You start getting into um, the internal expense ratio is pretty high. Like we started looking at just kind of playing devil's advocate, looking through all this and said, man, this one's 1.4, this one's 1.6, this one. And so that's on top of a management fee. So now the hurdle has become that much higher for you to succeed. And so like our goal is to make sure we keep costs down. We're always acting as a fiduciary. We are, you know, if we're trading in somebody's account. We're not getting paid for it. We believe it's because it's going to protect funds or grow them. But I think that we have to be mindful. And when we look at some of these portfolios, like, you know, this is somebody who, you know, was somewhat moderately aggressive, I would say, and had bonds, but all the bonds were high yield. And, you know, in different environments, that's, they're going to trade just like a stock. Right. And so not nearly as risk averse as, as what, you know, when you look at a portfolio breakdown, it's what it would elude. So we have to be really cautious when looking at this. And, and look, in, in any advisor's defense, it's easy to pick apart a portfolio. You can pick apart right. anything, right? Yeah. I mean, and say, hey, here's good, here's bad, here's why. Everybody has a little bit different flair to it or what they're trying to accomplish or do. Um, and there's many different ways to get there. But um, I think where, you know, you mentioned the oversophistication. You get a lot of these, these places that... They create product for the next biggest thing or for the thing that was big last year, the idea, the theme, whatever it may be. And, you know, hey, we're going to have this account, this account, this account. And it's difficult sometimes to understand how it all works together. And so I think this is where, you know, you, you mentioned a financial plan, taking that inventory of assets, understanding how asset allocation 
works together. And I don't mean just diversification, right? Because that's what you're you're always going to hear. You got to be in large cap, mid cap, small cap, international, emerging markets. And then, oh, we'll tweak it a little bit if we don't like that area. We'll we'll reduce it by two or three percent. We really like it. We'll overweight it. Well, if you don't like it, why are you in it? Yeah. You know. Well, and again, this is and again, you know, this is you know analysis. Look, there's a there's a tremendous number of really great advisors out there. So don't don't take this as a blanket statement that all advisors do this because that is not the case. Um, at all. But, you know, I think the things that you have to just, you know, ask yourself is, is that, you know, if your advisor is putting you into a lot of mutual funds, right, and the, and the thesis is buy and hold, why do you need an advisor? Uh, I mean, if you're just going to buy and hold mutual funds, which all have managers, right? Well, that's so, a kicker, right? right? I mean, like, we look at a lot of them, and they haven't traded in years. Right. And, and so so what are, you, what are you paying the advisor for? Well, I'm paying for the financial plan. Okay, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you're okay with the buy and hold structure. Um you know, and it's just it's just things to think about is saying, OK, look, what am I paying for and what am I actually getting? And, you know, there's just been a lot of, of development over the last 15 years, 20 years in the markets, which prior to 2000, you know, advisors were paid to manage money. This is what we did. And, and you know, we were paid to track the market and, and, you know, make investments and these type of things. And then after 2000 really came this evolution, particularly of the younger advisors that were coming into the markets and, and, the, and, the, and the big brokerage firms, right? The JP Morgans, the Wells Fargo's, et cetera. They said, you know, forget all that, right? Because we started going to decimalization of the markets and commissions were cut and all this type of stuff. And so it made it much less profitable to manage money, right? If I, why am I going to pay Danny you know, half a million dollars a year as a salary as a portfolio manager or whatever he gets paid to manage that portfolio when I can just get rid of him. And we come up with these models where just say, you know, pretty much you're in this model of 15 different mutual funds. You'll kind of track the market up or down. And the premise is you just kind of buy and hold. And that eliminates the whole need for having to have sophisticated portfolio technologies and all these type of things that cost money, right? It reduces that cost. So as fees came down, the, the market environment, Wall Street came up with ways to cut the cost to become, to keep that profitability on you, right? So this is, this is the important thing to consider. So, you know, just the, the point of the conversation is, is, is just be careful, you know, make sure that you're, you know, the value of what you're paying for is there. And if it's not, there's other alternatives. And again, there's nothing wrong with doing it yourself. Managing money isn't hard, right? You just have to work at it. Well, no, that's <laughs> so it's like anything else. Yeah, but it can be extremely overwhelming. I mean, think it about how be. many how many vehicles there are to invest in. I mean, there is there there is a different type for everyone, and determining what's best for each person is probably difficult. Um, Without, you know, I think we take it for granted because we're in the weeds every day. Right. But Most people is, aren't. But this is where you go back to a good financial plan, too. Correct. Yeah. All right. Second rant of the day coming up right after the break. Don't go away.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We teach our kids the alphabet and all the colors too. But raising our kids to be money smart is really up to you. Our next RIA Lunch and Learn will dwell upon this topic because teaching kids to manage their coins puts money in their pockets. Join Ratliff and Rosso February 23rd for the How to Raise Money Smart Kids Lunch and Learn. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. So, I got a little rant today. You know, I've talked before about the myth of stock buybacks being a return of capital to shareholders because, again, if Apple buys back their their company stock, did you get a check in the mail? Right? Did anything show up in your account because they sold, you know, they bought back company stock? No. Now, dividends are a return of capital to shareholders. Why? Because you actually get a check, right? <laughs> if you're in a drip program, a check shows up in your mailbox or you have a deposit into your bank account. That's a return of capital to shareholders, right? Buybacks aren't. What buybacks do, though, is increase the wealth of corporate insiders. And the SEC is now taking some aim at this. They are now reviewing what's called the 10B51 rule. And, and this is a rule that affects individuals of corporate insiders of corporations when they buy back stock and and what you're supposed to do and this is just very quick in a nutshell there's a wall street journal on this if you just google 10b51 wall street journal um what you're supposed to do as insiders you file a plan and danny deals with this from time to time with our clients as well but you have to file a plan that says i'm going to execute the sale of my shares over this time frame right on certain periods i'm going to sell my shares etc and you have to follow this plan Right. And then you're supposed to follow the plan. The and they typically only have certain windows as well when they can do so. Right. And you're supposed to adhere to this plan. Well, what the SEC is now reviewing on this rule is that here's just I'll, I'll just clip it for you. Among the highlights, officers and directors will have to wait at least 90 days after starting or modifying 10B5 plans. Some insiders were selling shares less than a month after adopting their plan, sometimes even the same day or adopting and initiating trading plans right before earnings announcements. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like they have no idea what they're about to announce. Another trick has been to adopt multiple 10B51 plans and later selectively cancel the ones that wouldn't work to the insider's benefit. You get my point? Right? So SEC is aiming to, to change this a bit. But this goes into another picture. And this now you have to jump with me for a minute. It goes into climate change. And here's the rant. And here's the rant. <laughs> Poor people don't care about climate change, right? Look at who are the biggest polluters in the, in the world, right? China, India, South America. Poor, it's where the majority of poor people live. They don't care about climate change. They're just trying to make ends meet, right? They're just trying to feed themselves. They don't care about climate change. Who cares about climate change? Rich people. Why? Because there's a massive amount of money in climate change. And for companies involved in that I, I gave you an example my wife sells lng and so they have what's called bio bio lng which is lng that is produced from pigs and other type of poop right and so it's 
natural and organic and whatever. Anyway, it's, it's, it's climate-friendly is this bio-LNG because you're not harvesting it out of the ground, right? So this is supposed to be better for the planet. Well, if I want to get the bio-LNG from point A to point B, I've got to do what with it? I've got to put it into a pipeline with every other LNG that's in there. So when I get the pipeline, the, the gas at the other side, unless I, tr unless I truck it, right, then that's a different story. But the point of it is, is I get what's called a carbon credit. Now, I've explained carbon credits to you before. Danny has a company. He's, he's from, from West Virginia, and he has a coal mine. The worst, he, he doesn't even do clean coal mining anymore, right? He's doing it the way they did back in the 30s. I mean, it's just the nastiest form of coal mining on the planet. I mean, he's just destroying the planet. He has a zero carbon footprint. How does he have a zero carbon footprint? He's doing car, he's, he's mining coal. Picks and shovels and the worst kind, right? He's not even close to clean because he buys carbon credits. So companies like Tesla that have a, you know, environmentally friendly footprint, they get carbon credits that they can then sell to Danny so Danny can reduce his carbon credits. Okay, let me explain to you this in real life. There is a company that is cashing in on climate change. One of the most important technologies to address climate change got a boost on Thursday when a startup said it pulled carbon dioxide from the air and stored it underground. The company has cashed in. Are you hearing the words here? The company has cashed in on the effort, potentially creating a viable business model that could kickstart a brand new industry. ClimateWorks AG is the leader in the race to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere using a process known as direct air capture. This all sounds good. Customers include Microsoft, who paid a significant premium. Pay attention to this line. They paid a significant premium to buy carbon credits guaranteed and generated by ClimateWorks. So how does ClimateWorks make their money? Selling carbon credits. So who's the beneficiary of climate change? Rich people. That's why people, there's a ton of money to be made selling climate change. Now look. I'm not against doing things that are good for the atmosphere, but let me explain to you the climate works function. How how this this is what this company created. They created a box that basically sucks the air out of the atmosphere, right? It then strips out the CO2 and then produces CO2 free air on the other side. It then stores the CO2 in a filter and then they heat it up to several hundred degrees and it crystallizes it then they pump it underground where they can be stored there for thousands of years now there's a much cheaper way and by the way the, the whole heating process required another energy company to produce the <laughs> electricity <laughs> to, to, to create the heat but there's a much better way to do that if i want to remove co2 from the air plant a tree that's what trees do. They need the CO2 to take in the CO2 and produce oxygen, right? That's how we all live and breathe. Guess what the problem with that is, though? Trees don't produce carbon credits, and they don't produce any revenue. <laughs> and they're cheap to plant. So the point is, is that, you know, this is, this is all great technology, right? I got nothing, I got nothing against it, but the, the scam in this is the carbon credits, I produce a technology that doesn't really lower the footprint of what's going on outside of what planting trees would do. 
and I make billions of dollars. Now, now, who's going to benefit from this? Corporate insiders, corporate executives, et cetera. It's all great, right? And People and, creating the pollution. And, and people, yeah. And their private jets. Exactly. <laughs> Bill Gates says that he should be allowed to have his private jet and fly over the world and do this because he's contributing to reducing climate change. So his carbon footprint doesn't matter. It's a, it's a, net, it's a net cost. The point is, is that this is part and parcel, and then this is, goes back to this whole 10B5 plan, et cetera, how in, corporate insiders. This is why people hate capitalism today. If you look at TikTok and all these other social media channels, there is one person after another you know, disparaging capitalism. Capitalism is evil. I saw a TikTok guy the other day talking about how capitalism is killing people. No, capitalism isn't killing people. <laughs> Now, the guy's dressed in a T-shirt with shorts, sitting in his mom's basement, disparaging capitalism. Another guy was out uh, uh, yesterday as well talking about how he shouldn't have to work, right? There should be free health care, should be free food, free basic essentials. You know, you should be able to live your life without working. If you want more, if you want more than the basics, then you work. Uh, Who's going to provide that, though? Well, th yeah, th this is the illogic of all of this, right? But the point is, is that, you know, when we go back to look at the core structure of, of 10B5 rules and insider buying and, and stock buybacks and corporate, uh, you know, and these climate change credits and all these things, you know, when you actually dig down to the core of all of this, it all has to do with making money. <laughs> Guess what? That's capitalism. <laughs> but that, this is the thing to understand. So, look, if you really want to cure climate change. If you really want to reduce CO2, go plant some trees. It'll work a lot better. Feel better? I feel better. I had to get my rant Good off job. this morning. It just These things just infuriate me because as, as soon as you start reading the first line and it says, creating a viable business model that could kickstart an entire new industry. Yeah. Here that we, tells you all you need to know. Here we go. So anyway, we'll have to clip this part of the show out and not produce it so oh no we'll <laughs> clip it and post it separate <laughs> you get a shadow ban by the, the all-seeing yeah. multi-trillion dollar corporations of google mm -hmm. uh anyway all right danny last well, but, thoughts but you know going back i mean you talked about self-responsibility and, and really what the lack thereof if people want people to take care of yeah the you know that's a problem right we need to be responsible for ourselves our actions what we do and nobody wants to do it anymore, right? That's why get-rich-quick scams are so so prevalent. Because everybody thinks that, hey, you know, we, we don't want to put in the work, the time, the energy to do the right thing. And that's the frustrating part. I could go on a rant for a while on this. But that's just, that's a bigger issue. I know. And the other side of this is, is if we did this, uh, you know, this carbon capture thing this company wants to do, and we did it on a mass scale and sucked all the CO2 out of the air. Yeah. What are trees going to survive with? Plants? Vegetables, farms. <laughs> well, look, man, Bill Gates has his, uh, what is it? They, all they're he's, doing he's the beyond largest, meat. He's, and he's, he, uh, Bill Gates is the largest farmland owner in the United States. Yeah, but not using it for farming. No, he leases it out to other farmers. No, no, no. But I think what his intent is, is, is different from most, right? Because they're manufacturing actual food, right? not growing food. Yeah, sure. So it's a little bit different. That's true. Anyway, all right, that wraps up the show for the day. Uh, get by the website. It's a rant, it's a rant free website today, by the way. So far. <laughs> <And> so far. <laughs> 
Uh, talked about how the correction had started. That's our Tuesday blog post today. Michael is out today with his post on Janet Yellen and hope uh, that we will not have a recession. That's all on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send your questions and comments, of course, as always, to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. And make sure and subscribe to this channel as well as our Before the Bell channel. That's our new channel for three minutes on markets and money, which will be coming up here in just a few minutes before the, before the bell opens. So make sure you subscribe. Just click that little bell icon. All right. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Michael Leibowitz will be here to talk about the Fed, inflation, and, of course, what do we go from here uh, as the Fed's next meeting is not too far off as, as well. And uh, what's that going to mean for rate hikes then? All right. See you all tomorrow. Have a great day.